You know what? All right. All right. Okay. So listen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. This is a podcast where we hope that you walk away with some sense of the uncommon variety, some nonsense of the common variety. My name's Aime. When I was little, I wanted to live in the sewers. Bit sad, in it. Look. Oh my God. The microphone volume is adjusting by itself. I don't know why this is happening. Listen. So Jerry and I have been having some technical difficulties this morning. Um, I bought this fancy new microphone because the audio was so bad before. And now what it's doing, which is super cute and super fun, is that in my sound settings, it, the volume keeps changing on its own and I'm not touching my trap pad and watching it change in real time. So one second it'll be turned up to 70 and then the next second it'll be down to five. So I'm going to be trying to monitor that, but if there's any alarming changes in my volume, I apologize. I don't know why this is happening and we're having to like try to record this like a hundredth time. So if we sound a little bit like we've spoken about these things before, I apologize, but it's not my fault. (laughs) Technology, man. It's great. Bit bit sad in it. It's a bit sad. Just a bit. Bit sad in it. Sod. Do British people say sad or sod? Sod. Sod is sod. Sod is like dirt, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's like a whole new word. Okay, sorry. I'm. D- Thank you for coming to my TED Talk, Jerry. Go ahead. On to you, Jerry. Oh, my name's Jerry, and a friend of mine once broke one of my teeth. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so when we... So, we... So, Sways Canal. Current events. Boat got stuck. Canal is constipated. Sandstorm. Boat got unstuck. Penis in the water. Jerry, would you like to elaborate on that? Penis in the water couldn't have been an accident. I mean, it's penis in the water. Okay, so basically, uh, but I didn't know about this. See, here goes the, mm, there goes the volume. I didn't know about this. Okay, apparently, the captain drew a penis in the water. They said, what was it? It was a chart with the course on it that he took during the sandstorm, and there was a penis. Yeah, that's like it was the path he took during the sandstorm, and it just looked like a penis. And it was the path he took before getting stuck in the canal? Yes. Um, so apparently there's been some discourse online about whether or not the penis incident was intentional. And I told Jerry that I saw a tweet this morning that said, imagine being the captain of the boat that got stuck in the Swayze Canal knowing you have the opportunity to do the funniest thing that anybody has ever done ever. And I thought he was talking about that because the boat got unstuck recently. I thought he was like, oh, imagine if you're the captain, you just like cock the boat diagonally again so that it gets stuck again. And that would just be, oh, the most funny headline. But now I'm thinking he was referring to the penis incident. Um, If the penis incident is intentional, I want to give my mad, mad props to the... To the captain of the, sorry about that peak, but mad props to the captain of the, the, the Swayze Canal boat, because, like, I'm so glad that um, people can still have a sense of humor in these trying times. And if y'all look up the penis thing, I mean, be careful about how you Google it, of course. Don't uh, take your innocence. But, I mean, it's unmistakably a dick. Unmistakably. You know what I mean? You look at that and it's like, that's a penis. It's not an amorphous dick. It's straight up a dick. It reminds me, actually, it reminds me of those clips, or at least there's one clip that I can think of, of like live meteorology report and the woman is drawing like, you know, the trade wind patterns or whatever the hell meteorologists draw on their touchscreen maps. and, And she just straight up drew a penis. Have you seen that video? I've not. And didn't even flinch stoic the whole time 
dead serious, like, talking the way meteorologists talk and, like, drawing a penis on her chichu a dick. Okay, moving on. Once again, uh, difficult to transition from one thing to the other, but I always wanted to take the opportunity to acknowledge the uptick recently of hate crimes against the Asian community. Extremely bad. And I don't know what I was saying before, um, but the generalized fear against the Asian American community seemed to have like recently kind of gone on in conjunction with the rhetoric about the origins of COVID in America. Um, am I saying that it's Donald Trump's fault? Yes. Am I saying it's the Republicans' fault? I Pretty much. The news? Yeah, it's bad. I was actually... People are trying to defend the xenophobic rhetoric and they're like, well, nobody's saying that, um, you know, everything is... No, nobody's that ostentatiously racist against Asian people in particular, which is patently false, but I think that this is... We should sit here... And for people who are unaware, and I assume that everybody's aware, but basically there's just been a lot of Asian American citizens um, posting pictures and there's been media coverage of individuals that have been the victims of sudden public beatings. Uh, recently, there was a shooting in Georgia where eight victims had died and many of them were women of Asian descent. And it was a, a massage parlor in, in Georgia, I think one in Atlanta and one in the suburbs. Um and so there's been some discourse about why, of course, this has been happening from a sociological lens. A lot of people are saying that the uh, kind of xenophobic talking points about the ostensible, you know, quote, evil uh, influence of China, both from a socioeconomic perspective and with COVID, have been kind of breeding a very, very potent generalized fear uh, and also, you know, of course, recently in America, there has been a very uh, transparent uptick of nationalist rhetoric, and it's been a mess. And so anyway, hashtag stop the Asian hate. It's really horrible. We hate it here. What the fuck? You know? Exactly. Those are my feelings. Yeah. Jerry, I don't know if you have anything to add, but it's... You know, Listen, it's just... I... I don't get it. It's just like people dumb, and it always surprises me. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. We support our Asian American colleagues here on Uncommon Sense. But speaking of, um, once again, I am not sure how to transition smoothly. I am not the king of segways. I wanted to talk about another, another uh, current events issue with some heavy sociological underpinnings. So Kendrick Johnson, the, this is a homicide. I'm hesitant to call it a homicide case because the investigators didn't want to call it that, which is the whole thing. Um, but it is a criminal, what am I going to call it here? It was a, the death of it. It was, we're going to talk about it. So Jerry, you don't know who Kendrick Johnson is, right? No. You never heard that name before. Um, Kendrick Johnson, here, let me, I want to check Wikipedia so I can get the dates exactly right, but I also don't want to X out of my sound settings because I don't want my microphone to peak without me knowing. Kill people's eardrums. I'm taking yeah, the risk. Yeah, we don't want, we don't want your eardrums to die, everybody. Taking the risk. Okay, apparently 2013 is when this first happened. So Kendrick Johnson was a high school student. Uh, he was an African-American young man. And in January of 2013, his body was discovered um, 
rolled up in one of the gym mats at his school. And he was kind of in there. The position was he was in there head down towards the floor. And when the body was investigated via the autopsy, the eventual ruling was that he had fallen in there by accident and died from asphyxiation because he had gotten stuck and was was kind of crunched like a, you know, crushed in there. Uh, Supposedly, what fellow students had claimed who were questioned was that Kendrick Johnson had a habit of throwing his shoes up into the mat and um, he went to lean into you know the, the giant uh, gymnasium mats that you roll up and you put them up vertically against the wall? You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So supposedly... The ones they put on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly he threw his shoes in there and went down to get him and then fell in by accident and then couldn't get back out and nobody knew he was in there. So he ended up, you know, asphyxiating and dying. Um, is the thing is that uh, when the investigation was going on, there were two boys who I think were siblings and uh, they're in particular were uh, being investigated for potentially aggressing Kendrick Johnson. Uh, and this was the parents were, you know, suspecting that it was a homicide. So we're having to do a, you know, thorough investigation here. They're questioning students and the two boys that were primary suspects happened to be related to the head investigator of this case. And so if that's not bad enough, Three hours worth of surveillance footage just mysteriously disappeared. And so Kendrick Johnson can be seen on surveillance footage from the school walking into the gym a few hours before he, before he supposedly died. And then there's just a gap of time that is missing. So that's extremely fishy, of course. Everybody's like, oh, um, the head investigator is related to two of the students that may have been aggressors of Kendrick Johnson. And now that footage of potentially showing them is just gone. It's just poof. What happened to it? Um, and then I didn't understand this part necessarily, but Kendrick Johnson had gone, there was an autopsy initially, uh, and the parents, it was ruled that, um, that it had been the asphyxiation and that it was accidental and not a homicide. And the parents were not satisfied with this particular autopsy, so they went to get the body sent to get an, another one. And there was further speculation from other professionals that this was a homicide. But the body at some point had been um, hollowed and stuffed with newspaper so that there couldn't be further studies conducted. So that was another fishy thing. And it was just like there's so many things that are botched about this investigation process. And so the whole thing is just very, just reeks of homicide cover-up. Um, and Kendra Johnson, as an African-American young man, this criminal justice case, you know, uh, sparked a lot of controversy about the treatment of hate crimes against African-Americans, um, specifically in this case, in, in general, you know, being aggressed by white individuals who were being investigated by white investigators in this case uh, who happen to be related so you know you see what i mean like what i'm getting at here is that it's just a very sus the whole thing um, oh yeah so recently and the reason i'm talking about kendrick johnson is because recently the case got opened re- reopened this month it was closed years ago officially ruled as an accidental suicide and the parents were never satisfied with that and i even saw a picture of the father for example when they were in the gym kind of they took one of the mats and they put it horizontally on the floor and they said that you know 
the father demonstrated, he had the same, like, approximate uh, shoulder, uh, I don't know what the official word for it is, but the length from shoulder to shoulder. Um, Wingspan? Well, that's your, like, fingertip to fingertip, right? Yeah, uh, like, shoulder width, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. He, so he had, like, a similar shoulder width to Kendrick, and he showed that you would never be able to get in there their shoulders were wider wider than the diameter of the circle in the mat. So he would have never been able to get himself in there by accident. He just wouldn't have fit, you know? Um, Uh So that's a pretty incriminating (laughs) little demonstration that he did. Um, So anyway, the case has been reopened. I'm reading that the lead investigator is not saying that it's been reopened because now it's suspected that it was a homicide and he's still, the case is still regarded as an accidental suicide and whatever. So I'm not, there's not a lot of details about it on the internet because, um, well, I don't, uh, I don't know why the case is being reopened if they're still going at it from the angle that it was an accidental suicide and that they're not trying to look into a potential homicide, but nonetheless, the case has been reopened. So I thought that was interesting, and I was—I remember reading about the Kendrick Johnson case years ago, and I thought it was, it was one of those crazy things that you hear about. So that's an interesting current event, and I hope that I don't, like I said, I don't know why the case is being reopened, but if anything good comes of it, that'll be fantastic because, of course, you always hope that the, the that that the victims and their families can be brought some justice and some closure, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Kendrick Johnson, what, there's pictures, and, you know, tread lightly because, you know, they're, dis- they're graphic disturbing pictures, but um, his face, they um, showed pictures of the body online and the position that he was in for as long as he was in that position caused some really uh, extreme deformities and a lot of people, and I think that the parents allowed for the release of those photos purposefully because it led to a lot of people analogizing this issue with Kendrick Johnson with the issue with Emmett Till from the 1920s. Um, Jerry, I don't know if you know who Emmett Till was. Are you aware? I am not. Well, Emmett Till uh, was a famous uh, hate crime incident, which kind of actually sounds euphemistic, really. Um, but it was a case in which a young boy, I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head how old he was, in between the ages of like 9 and 13, like really young, um, supposedly whistled at a white woman in public. And this, again, this is the 1920s. And um, white men who knew the woman found Ed, Emmett Till and kidnapped him and beat the shit out of him and then uh like attached weights to his limbs or something and drowned him in a nearby river and his body was found later um and he was severely deformed and the mother of course was advised to have a closed casket funeral because of what the effects of the beating in the river had done to his appearance but she said no i want this to be an open casket funeral i want these i want everybody to see what these people did to my boy um so that so the picture of the corpse of emmett till is very famous and it's uh, a much talked about case in regard to things like you know the, the 
race relations in the United States. And supposedly, I haven't read too much about this, so I'm not prepared to talk about it confidently, but I've heard here and there that it even came out later that Emma Till hadn't even flirted with the white woman or whistled at her, and the white woman admitted later in life that um, no such thing had even transpired. So it's completely unjustifiable to begin with on any level. And then for it to come out later that he, he hadn't even done what he was accused of doing makes it all the more heinous and, like, crazy. So... Um, that's why, you know, people are kind of analogizing the, the two different cases. So yeah, once again, if you look up those pictures, just tread carefully. They're very graphic, but they're also very kind of demonstrative. And I think that's, that's, it. it goes to show how messed up things are and have been in this country for sure. You know? Yeah. This country is kind of the worst. Little bit, little bit. All right. So. Like- an unsettling amount of the time. <laughs> I 100% completely agree. So I don't know what else can we talk about, Jerry. What's been on? What's, what's been going on? You're like I don't know. I've been hearing um, people talking about the Second Amendment again. That's something that we can talk about because I think it's an interesting conversation to be had about where the Second Amendment comes from how we should regard it in relation to modern discourse about the ownership of guns. Um, And I have a pretty unpopular, I guess you could say, opinion about that. So, first of all, Jerry, I don't know if you have any specific opinions of the Second Amendment. I mean, do you know about the whole Second Amendment warrior discourse? I mean, right to bear arms, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you have? I am familiar with the Second Amendment. Do you have any Uh... opinions about it? I mean, I have recently applied for my concealed carry permit, so I think I might be a little bit on the opposite of this. Like, I mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how to put this. I'm trying to find the proper words to describe my feelings on this topic. That's fine. Well, let me ask you... Um, wh- let me Actually, let me specify something. Specifically, what I've been seeing is a a conversation about the banning in America of civilian ownership of military-grade assault weaponry, not necessarily like, uh, I don't don't know what the technical classification is, but not necessarily more ostensibly innocuous firearms. Like, innocuous isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Um, Assault weapons Mm -hmm. versus, like, hunting rifles and, like, Glocks, right? I mean, are Glocks assault guns? A Glock is a uh, pistol. Cool. I don't know anything about guns. I own a, an 1863 Springfield, which is a, a single-shot muzzle loader that I take to reenactments, and that's about the extent of my experience with guns. So that goes to show how much I would know. Um, yeah. I, I definitely don't think people need to have, like, anything fully automatic. Mm-hmm. Like... The only exception I could see to that is maybe somebody who's former military and, like, it's part of, like, therapy or something like that to, like, go to a range and shoot that. But -hmm. there should be some kind of... There should be more when it comes to fully automatic weapons. But that's Mm -hmm. really the only thing I can think of as far as, like, what I think on control. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Do you, so are you of the opinion, what I'm gleaming is that people should be allowed to carry arms, not necessarily fully automatic, you know, assault weaponry, but. Yeah, you don't need to go to the, you don't need to go to the Wegmans with uh, an AK or anything like that. Like, but people walking around with a, like a pistol for self-defense or things like that, then I don't see anything wrong with that. Right, let me try and find this quote that I saw on Facebook, because this is what I saw that got the whole thing sparked about assault weaponry. Um, People are saying, I mean, every time there's discussion about limiting gun ownership in America, the Second Amendment comes up and people get on their uh, rugged individualism, you know, but my freedoms uh, rhetoric. So here's this quote. Hold on, let me move my... Hold on, everybody. Let me move my audio settings over. See, look, my microphone got got up to 90. What the hell? Okay. Um, Assault weapons are just that. This is a quote that I'm reading. Somebody posted on Facebook. Assault weapons are just that. They are not hunting rifles, unless your prey is human. No self-respecting sportsman would use an assault rifle to hunt quail, deer, or even a bear. Assault weapons were designed for the military to kill, not hurt or injure, enemy combatants. Imposing restrictions on assault weapons is no more a limit on the Second Amendment than a ban on a citizen's right to own surface-to-air missiles, landmines, or hand grenades. And that was a quote by Bob Poe. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure who that is, but so somebody posted that on Facebook, the point is. And it kind of ignited this conversation amongst people. But no, I'm not going to name any names, of course. This guy says, this is, uh, I'm going to try and read this verbatim. I'm going to try and be generous here because the grammar is a little bit criminal. It makes me laugh. Liberals who have never served in the military think they know what an assault weapon is because they saw it on MSNBC. Oh, my God. Please, their liberal friends, explain to me what an assault weapon is. I guarantee you, you don't know. (laughs) Um... So that was that. Here's another quote from the same conversation. I think that at least they should be covered under the NFA. Today's modern sporting rifles are far handier for clearing out classrooms and theaters than some of the full auto weapons brought under controls in the 30s. It's not just rifles. Semi-automatic pistols capable of accepting extended magazines should also be strictly controlled. They're actually used in more firearms death, including mass killings like VA Tech, Virginia Tech. and when started up like the Ruger, wait, and then, and when tarted up like the Ruger used in Boulder, okay, I don't know what he's talking about, but there's just, the point is, there's a lot of back and forth about what should be restricted and what shouldn't be and what the consequences are in the grand scheme of things regarding how much freedom Americans get in conjunction with the Bill of Rights. So, you know, the Second Amendment warriors are famous for using the they're truncating our freedoms one increment at a time rhetoric. And the idea behind that is, you know, that if imagine if America is on a leash and it's retractable and, you know, the evil government overlord is locking the leash and making it shorter one increment at a time and you wouldn't even realize it because it's incremental, that's what America is doing with things like banning assault weaponry, apparently. So I'm in, I'm already, I think it's pretty clear where I'm, where I would come from with this. I think that that rhetoric is, you know, it's very, it's got a lot of ethos and I understand why it rallies people around a cause, but I think it's very silly and misappropriated. And I think that if you pragmatically, logically and pragmatically, if you are a civilian that works at 
enterprise rent-a-car or your tech support, whatever the fuck, and you have an appreciation for guns from an aesthetic angle or an engineering angle, that's, I get it, whatever, that's fine. Why are you so upset about not being able to procure like a semi-automatic AK or whatever the fuck they're called? There's no pragmatic application for that in your day-to-day life. And the response will be, well, if the government oppresses me, I need to be able to march on Washington or whatever and commit domestic terrorism. I need to have that right. I need to have that ability. Um, I promise you, my dude, Paul, Stephen, I promise you, Kevin, you're not going to march on Washington with your weapon tomorrow. These, I do not think there is an actual practical application of revolutionary rhetoric in the real world. I don't think there is. Um, now, if there were pockets of well-organized militia like there was 200 years ago that are instated for whatever reason because you do the rebellions, not rebellions, the federal government would be able to defend yourself against oppression. The militias that were in place ostensibly to do that very thing have long since dissolved into the generalized federal military structure. Long since. There There are no longer actual official organized American militias in the colonial spheres for the purpose of self def- for the purpose of community defense um and so it's the rhetoric just it pragmatically i don't understand you know what i mean like there's no logical way to rationalize what people are talking about here jerry you know what i'm saying i've been talking for a while but what are your thoughts jerry i mean it's like it, this is definitely like a tricky situation to talk about yes just in general yes because part of the reason that I feel like that whole thing was brought up, like, no, sorry, one second, mm-hmm. brain is coming up with words. I'm coming off a third shift, everybody. Uh, so I might not be. Uh, we'll we'll give you some. We'll give you one hundred percent coherent. Yeah. Thank you for the cushion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. I feel like where a lot of people come from is they think the Second Amendment is for the preservation of the separation of, like, state government and federal government. Because there is really no state military anymore. Right, 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 right. Like, in any regard. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Here, let me, let me, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think the people who are for, like, being able to have, like, a semi-automatic rifle or things of that nature, uh, are opposed to that fact. Opposed, can you just repeat for clarification, opposed to what fact? The fact that there is no state military. And so, to be clear... They're opposed in a, such a way that they think there should be, or that they're wanting to defend themselves privately, or what? I mean, people. the only thing I can think of, like, logically speaking, as to why somebody would feel the need to have a an assault weapon of any sort would be because they feel as though there should be some kind of state military mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. something of that nature. Let me 
go from that. I'm going to append to get some clarity here. I'm going to read what the National Constitution Center has written about the Second Amendment, because I think it's been interesting, the perspective that they take. Um, um, I'm going to try and scrub through this. Uh, Many in the founding generation believed that governments are prone to use soldiers to oppress the people. English history suggested that this risk could be controlled by permitting the government to raise armies consisting of full-time paid troops only when needed to fight foreign adversaries. For other purposes, such as responding uh, to sudden invasions or other emergencies, the government could rely on a militia that consisted of ordinary civilians who supplied their own weapons. Oop, my mic is peaking. <gasps> Hold on. Hold on, everybody. Sorry, this is really annoying. I wish my microphone wasn't doing the thing. Okay. Uh, government rely on militia that consisted of ordinary civilians who supplied their own weapons and received some part-time unpaid military training. Da-da-da-da. The onset of war does not always allow time to raise and train an army, and the Revolutionary War showed that militia forces could not be relied on for national defense. The Constitutional Convention therefore decided that the federal government should have almost unfettered authority to establish peacetime standing armies and to regulate the militia. This massive shift of power from the states to the federal government generated one of the chief objections to the proposed constitution. And just as a reminder, uh, the southern, it was overwhelmingly the southern states that were afraid of or, you know, had trepidations about strengthening the federal government. And those were a lot of the anti-federalists, such as Patrick Henry, were concentrated down there. Um, And it was more in the, the industrializing, so to speak, north that people were advocating for a stronger federal government and so on and so forth, just to give you kind of a map of of the the zeitgeist at this time. So, um, anti-federalists argued, and back to reading the Constitution Center, anti-federalists argued that the proposed Constitution would take from the states their principal means of defense against federal usurpation. The Federalists responded, the Federalists, who are the big government people, responded that fears of federal oppression were overblown, in part because the American people were armed and would be almost impossible to subdue through military force. So implicit in the debate between Federalists and Anti-Federalists were two shared assumptions. First, that the proposed new Constitution gave the federal government almost total legal authority over the army and militia. Second, that the federal government should not have any authority at all to disarm the citizenry. They disagreed only about whether an armed populace could adequately deter federal oppression. So I guess it's a conversation about even if there are private gun ownership, what good is that going to do? That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, and that, that question is brought up because the Constitution Center is positing that America should be able to organize and raise a strong federal defense system that is, you know, manifested by as the military. So the Second Amendment conceded nothing to the anti-federalist desires to sharply curtail the military power of the federal government, meaning we're still going to have a big military no matter what, um, which would have required substantial changes in the original Constitution, meaning we would have had to go back and amend it and before it was ratified, which was never going to work because the convention was over. Uh, and just to give you an idea, Jerry, when we had the Constitutional Convention and it was already the document being circulated for ratification, a lot of the states, especially in the South, were afraid about how much the federal government was strengthened by it. Uh, so they were refusing to ratify it. And we needed a, a, a strong majority to be able to use it as the supreme law. So the reason the Bill of Rights was drafted to begin with was to ensure the southern states in particular that uh, their 
certain specific rights would not be overturned by the Constitution. And that's why we have those first 10 amendments. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay, so which would have required some changes to the Constitution? Yet the amendment was easily accepted because of widespread agreement that the federal government should not have the power to infringe the right of the people to keep and bear arms any more than it should have the power to abridge the freedom of speech or prohibit the free exercise of religion. Much has changed since 1791. The traditional militia fell into... This is an interesting word. Let me look this up. Hold on. I'm going to learn a new word. I don't know how to pronounce this. Desuetude. Desuetude. Desuetude? Hello. Hello? I don't know. Okay, I'm going to read the sentence. The traditional militia fell into desuetude. And state-based militia organizations were eventually incorporated into the federal military structure. So this is what I was saying before. The militia organizations in question got folded into the federal government anyway. Um, the, na- the nation's military establishments has become enormously more powerful than 18th century armies. We still hear political rhetoric about federal tyranny, but most Americans do not fear the nation's armed forces, and virtually no one thinks that an armed populace could defeat those forces in battle. Furthermore, 18th century civilians routinely kept at home the very same weapons they would need if called to serve in the militia, while modern soldiers are equipped with weapons that differ significantly from those generally thought appropriate for civilian uses. Civilians no longer expect to use their household weapons for militia duty, although they still keep and bear arms to defend against common criminals, as well as for hunting and other forms of recreation. The law has also changed. While states in the founding era regulated guns, blacks were often prohibited from possessing firearms and militia weapons were frequently registered on government rolls. Gun laws today are more extensive and controversial. Another important legal development was the adoption of the 14th Amendment. The Second Amendment originally applied only to the federal government, leaving the states to regulate weapons as they saw fit. Although there is no substantial evidence that the Privileges or Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment was meant to protect the right of individuals to keep and bear arms from infringement by the states, the Supreme Court rejected this interpretation in the United States versus Cruikshank. Until recently, the judiciary treated the Second Amendment almost as a dead letter. In District of Columbia versus Heller, however, the Supreme Court, which is 2008, the Supreme Court invalidated a federal law that forbade nearly all civilians from possessing handguns in the nation's capital. A 5-4 majority ruled that the language and history of the Second Amendment showed that it protects a private right of individuals to have arms for their own self-defense, not a right of the states to maintain a militia. But the dissenters disagreed. They concluded that the Second Amendment protects a nominally individual right, thought one that protects only, um, though, one that protects only the right of the people of each of the several states to maintain a well-regulated militia, quote, which is from the original draft. They also argued that even if the Second Amendment did not protect an individual right, an individual's right to bear arms for self-defense, it should be interpreted to allow the government to ban handguns in high-crime urban areas. I'm almost at the bottom here. Two years later, in McDonald versus City of Chicago, the court struck down a similar handgun ban at the state level, again by a 5-4 vote. Four justices relied on judicial precedents under the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause. Justice Thomas rejected those precedents in favor of reliance on the Privileges or Immunities Clause, but all five members of the majority concluded that the 14th Amendment protects against state infringement of the same individual right that is protected from federal infringement by the Second Amendment. Notwithstanding the lengthy opinions in Heller and McDonald. They technically ruled only that government may not ban the possession of handguns by civilians in their homes. 
Heller tentatively suggested a list of presumptively lawful regulations, including bans on the possession of firearms by felons and the mentally ill, bans on carrying firearms in, quote, sensitive places, such as schools and government buildings, laws restricting the commercial sale of arms, bans on the concealed carry of firearms, and bans on weapons, quote, not typically possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. Many issues remain open, and the lower courts have disagreed with one another about some of them, including important questions involving restrictions on carrying weapons in public. Okay, we got through that whole thing. Um, Jerry, where you at? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. A lot of that sort of, like, went against my head. That was a lot of big words. That was a lot of information. I think <laughs> a lot of information that my brain sure tried to absorb. Listen, it is a lot. I think that what you can kind of gather as a general epiphany mayor is that the Second Amendment wasn't stated for specific purposes that are no longer applicable to modern life. And I think this is an example in one vein of when technology accelerates, which it does exponentially, it's difficult for the law to keep up with it. It's difficult to legislate in tandem with technological advances. And because like what this thing said, um, when people were initially expected to be able to take up their arms to join a militia, if there were, were militias, um, their weapons would have been analogous with the weapons that militias would have been using. That is no longer the case because we have such a wide variety of firearms in assault weapons and pistols and hunting, you know, the weaponry itself is just very different than it once was. So it has very different applications. So in 1791, the rationalizations behind the private usage and ownership of firearms no longer applies to similar rhetoric today because of differences in technology, differences in the existence of militias. And here's another thing that this particular article didn't mention that I think might be one of my hotter takes regarding the Second Amendment. But when James Madison in, you know, 1790 or whatever, was tasked with drafting the Bill of Rights. Uh, this was done, like I said earlier, specifically to get the hesitant states to feel um, consoled uh, that their rights would not be infringed upon by a strengthened federal government. And as a reminder, we had the Articles of Confederation already, and things were so dissonant between the colonies and the federal government was so weak that the United States really wasn't a union at all, and uh, interstate monetary transactions were completely useless. You needed a complete total majority to have a, an amendment happen, to pass laws. So the federal government was so weak that it was like dysfunctional, and that was the reason the Constitutional Convention happened, because that needed to be fixed or the country wouldn't survive. But because it was strengthening the federal government, a lot of people got their trepidations because they were concerned that we would be getting too close to a monarchy and, you know, all that. So when James Madison, who at the time was very gung-ho about strengthening the federal government, he did not even think that a Bill of Rights was necessary. And he, I mean, they think he, he was one of the chief architects. He spoke the second most behind Governor Morris at the Constitutional Convention. He drafted the original Virginia plan. Um... He, you know, he, he was defensive about the Constitution and said, we don't need a Bill of Rights. I promise you, your rights are not getting infringed upon. It's unnecessary, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think kind of over time, he realized that the Bill of Rights couldn't hurt more than it could help. So he sat down, keeping in mind 
what the states wanted specifically to be conceded so that they would ratify. And he was so desperate to have the damn thing ratified, you know, that he was going to try and tailor these amendments specifically. Does that all make sense? To get the the anti-federalist states to go, well, it's okay, we can ratify it, you know? Yeah, saying that, like, originally they weren't even planning to have, like, the right to bear arms at all. Like, it wasn't even that they weren't planning on having that right to begin with. It's that they weren't planning on articulating that right in the Constitution specifically. And so because it wasn't articulated, people were worried the government was just going to have way too much power to decide whatever. So they needed oh. they needed those amendments to make sure that that wouldn't happen. So that's what Madison had to keep in mind when he sat down to draft the bill, the Bill of Rights. Um, so when the second amendment, and originally there were like something like a 39 amendments and, uh, when they were circulated, they got cut down to like 12 and then 10 of those 12 became the, the bill of rights. Um, the second amendment or the, rather what became the second amendment, what was articulated as the right to bear and keep arms and so on and so forth was a concession to southerners in large part because those states in particular wanted to be able to maintain their patrolling militias. And those had been developed specifically for the purpose of monitoring and potentially capturing runaway slaves. So this is a, just to add on to kind of what this article that I read had been saying anyway, this is very much born of um, intentions and rationalizations that are beyond outdated. And what I think is interesting about that idea, and, I, and to be clear, I'm not saying we should have a gun prohibition. That's not necessarily my angle. I think even if we had a gun prohibition, that there would still be guns trafficked illegally, just like the alcohol was in the 1920s. And then in that case, the only people that did own guns pretty much would be people with criminal intentions. So... You know, what I um, am getting at here is that I think it's interesting the way a lot of people that talk about the right to bear arms are citing, you know, the uh, the rugged individualism that they analogize with the founding of America. And they'll hold the founders up on this pedestal and say, well, this is what Madison wanted. This is what Jefferson wanted. Da, 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 da. But I dislike the originalist rhetoric because the concept of originalism itself is absurd. Um, and, are, and am I being clear on what originalism is, Jerry, or should I elaborate on that? Like, they want to stay true what to what the original intention of the Constitution is? Yeah, or like, just generally speaking, to what the Founding Fathers supposedly wanted when they founded the country. You know? Um, mm-hmm. And I think originalism is absurd for a few reasons. One, because it's a little bit strange to me to hold up these long dead white men on this very high pedestal uh, who are just as flawed, if not <laughs> markedly more so uh, than any leadership you could compare them to today. The whole, you know, slave ownership thing is a whole other conversation. So that's one thing. Another thing is just the concept of trying to abide very strictly by their original intentions is silly to me because there are hundreds, hundreds of individuals that you could technically designate as, quote, founding fathers, because it depends on what your definition, of course, is by founding fathers. Some people talk about uh, there's just around 10 individuals that are typically thought of, you know, Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, um, Ham- Hamilton, Franklin, Burr, you know. But then there's uh, 
you know, B-listers or whatever. There's the Pinkneys, there's uh, the Randolphs, there's the... Uh, <laughs> um, B-listers? The B-listers, you know, there's George Wythe and George Mason and William Patterson, there's Nathan Hale, there's... there's and if you're going to broaden it to the spectrum of pol- individuals that were in any way politically active, including the women in between, you know, uh, 1750 and 1800, there could be thousands of people that qualify as founders. And these people, even in a even in a circle of 10 individuals, even between Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, Hamilton, um, even just inside that, their views differed irreconcilably. So if you're an originalist, are you going to cherry pick which founders happen to align with whatever it is that you want to believe? And then if that's the case, which founders are you choosing? In which case, are you a Thomas Jefferson originalist? And let's let's use Jefferson as an example. Uh, if you're a Jefferson originalist, then you're a small government believer. You know, you okay, fine, you're a libertarian or whatever you want for there to be small or no government. Um, Jefferson, in his late later in life when he was corresponding with John Adams uh, as they were they were very old men in the 1820s rhapsodized to Adams about his version of an ideal society in which socioeconomic classes are abolished and there's no financial hierarchies and every citizen is bestowed equal agrarian acreage to live their lives in uh, you know, equal, equally distributed plots of lands as farmers. This was something that Jefferson opined about being just the his ideal version of America. That's what it was. Everybody has equal farmland and we're all happy farmers. That sounds like, um, Jerry, you know what I'm getting at? What does that sound like to you? That sounds like uh, communism. That sounds like communism. I don't think any person that opines about the genius of Jefferson and wants to uphold the original ideals of that specific individual, Mr. Declaration of Independence, would use him as a as an, as a, an example of the virtuosity of communism. You know what I mean? Do you see what I'm getting at here? I guess you would just conveniently ignore that facet of Jefferson's beliefs in favor of pushing this ideal about rugged individualism and small government. You know what I mean? And then a lot of these originalists will conveniently ignore the diametrically opposed views of another equally, if not more credible founder, such as Alexander Hamilton, such as John Adams, Timothy Pickering, whatever. You know what I mean? So... Uh, just the yeah. whole originalism thing silly. It is silly. And if it's, well, I'm an originalist not of the founders as people, but of the Constitution, then I think that's silly too, because some founders wanted the Constitution to be framed vaguely on purpose so that it could be interpreted multiple ways, which was the viewership of Alexander Hamilton and James Madison at the time. There were other founders that believed it could be strictly interpreted, or should be strictly interpreted, interpreted, such as Thomas Jefferson. And then Thomas Jefferson contradicted that himself when he went to buy Louisiana. So there's like... It just doesn't make... What I'm saying, Jerry... Jerry, what I'm saying is it makes no sense. It simply doesn't make sense to me. I don't know about you, but I think originalism is silly. So to tie it back into the Second Amendment, I can see why people want to own certain kinds of guns. Like, I'm not... Like, again, I'm not saying there should be a gun prohibition, but to try and say we should have the second amendment people should be able to own AKs because that's what the founders would have wanted and our freedoms are being truncated and you're not you originalism rhetoric it just doesn't work it's silly it's absurd and i don't you gotta you gotta change with the times because the world is changing and it'll leave you behind that is my thesis thank you for coming 
to my TED talk. Jerry, do you have any thoughts? I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from. You were asking about, like, cherry-picking originalism. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what a lot of people do. Oh, yeah, I With, think like, so. a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Like, people take the part of something that they want to acknowledge, and the rest of it, they're like, oh, no, that doesn't exist. Because it does not match my um, perspective. Yeah, I think it's like a, a chicken came before the egg type of thing. It's like, did you hear these ideals and say, I need to uphold these ideals for posterity? Or did you hear a headline about the banning of handguns in Washington, D.C. and go fishing for specific founding father quotes to post on Facebook? And then you became an originalist and said, well, I believe this because Thomas Jefferson said whatever. Um, I t- think typically that people who claim to be originalists aren't actually well-researched in the source material that they're citing. And if they were, you couldn't logically continue to be an originalist for all the reasons that I just articulated. So, and even if, I mean, why would you want to hold the Founding Fathers up on a pedestal? As a person who studied the founding era of American history prolifically and has acknowledgments from the Daughters and the Sons of the American Revolution, Civil War and actor here. Hi, hello. Founded my high school's history club. I love history. I have the... I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back here. I have the wherewithal to not, uh, like, fetishize and romanticize long, dead, old, white, racist men. I congratulate myself for having that cognition, you know? So, all that is to say... Your originalism is bullshit. If you're going to talk about the Second Amendment, you just say you're not making sense. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I pretty much covered what I wanted to cover with that. Um, Jerry, before we move on, if there's anything you want to add, now would be the time to do it. Uh, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to add on that okay personally can i ask out of curiosity you don't have to answer this question but out of curiosity is there a specific reason uh that you're applying for the concealed carry or do you just generally is it to feel safer or like what was the thought process behind that i i'd like the option to be able to like carry should the need arise it's not something i plan to do regularly at all Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh main reason, and this is going to sound silly, is I like to go to the shooting range from time to time, and if you don't have a concealed carry permit, your gun has to be unloaded in separate compartment in your car than the ammunition. Oh. And it's just a hassle to, like, put it all in different places so I can drive to the range. But with a concealed carry permit, I can have it in the car with me. Oh, I see. That is... So it's just... That's so specific. I love that. (laughs) It's just a lot easier to get it to and from the range. Uh, but the having the ability to do so is also very, like, it, it's good. I like having that option. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. It makes sense. Interesting. Okay, well, uh, we're gotten, coming up on 50 minutes here. Shall we spill the tea about our all of our secrets? I think that'd be good. Okay, what did I say? Let me think. 
Oh, I said uh, I wanted to live in the sewers. sewers. Yeah. Um, I feel like you didn't. I feel like you didn't want to live in this. Actually, wait, no. You like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm going to say yes, you did want to live in the sewers. Oh, my God. I was like, ooh, I got him. And then you, I love that you had that realization. Yeah, when I was seven in my second grade class, uh, my teacher gave us this assignment that was like, you had to draw a picture of the ideal place that you wanted to live and then write about it. And I, I drew a picture of the Ninja Turtles and I said I wanted to live in the sewers of New York because that's where the Ninja Turtles live. It was little seven-year-old I may wanted to live in the sewers with the turtles. It's true. I was just like, this is a trap. <laughs> you you got it. You did well, Jerry. I'm proud of you. Uh, your I'm proud thing, of myself. Your thing was uh, that you bit, uh, what was it? A friend of mine broke one of my teeth. Oh, yeah. Uh, didn't you, um, didn't you chip a tooth and in gifted seminar in middle school on a desk or something uh so or somebody opened a cabinet or something Mm -hmm. that that is what happened uh sage opened a cabinet and hit me right in the goddamn face (laughs) yo god damn it (laughs) and i have a piece of porcelain in my mouth now (laughs) sage if you're listening to this i forgive you sage fuck you i'm just kidding (laughs) love you girl um was it, I don't think I was there for that. Was that in sixth grade? That was in I, I forget which grade. It was in middle school. That's all I remember. Oh my god. Um, was Sage apologetic? Did she feel sorry that she whacked you in the face with a cabinet? Probably. I left the classroom very quickly. Oh, the only thing no. I really remember was the teacher going to get me lunch because it was the period right before lunch. Yeah. And me not being able to eat it. Because of your tooth? Because I was missing a front tooth. No! <laughs> you didn't go to the That's nurse? That's what I remember. Uh, no, I, I went home to get a new piece of tooth <laughs> in my mouth. I don't think the nurse, nurse could have helped that. Yeah, but, like, you said you... Okay, that's wild. I was in I was in the, the office. Oh. Like, the front office. Home. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. What a travesty. You Sage left her mark on you forever. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's so funny. Well, it, I like the common then, link of us citing things from our childhood and <laughs> knowing each other at least well enough <laughs> to discern <laughs> the truth in it. Yeah, and then once, uh, and then she, she was just so upset she moved to Montana, you know? Um, Colorado, I thought. Colorado, maybe? I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Well, anyway. Okay, good talk, good talk. Uh, And Jerry, have any closing uh, thoughts, memes, plugs before we leave officially today? Uh, I do not. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening. Tune in next week. I don't know when the fuck... Oh, my microphone's speaking. Oh, God, 97. Okay. Uh, I don't know when the fuck I'll, I've been very bad with uploading consistently so I don't know when the fuck you will be hearing our beautiful voices again but until then thank you so much for listening sorry about the fluctuating volume I don't know why my computer's doing this and have a very good day goodbye bye